fellow Pufuanians, good evening. Before we get into tonight's episode, which will be a discussion of chapters 7 through 13 of Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness, I just want to make a couple of quick announcements. First of all, Fan Fiction, the author of Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness, is creating an audio drama of the fic. Now, at Parfic Weekly, we make audio dramas, we've done Master Fic episodes, uh, you know, not to give anything away, but for our 100th episode, we're planning a, a massive project, and and we're all teaming up for it, and because we're having some difficulty, sorry about that, that's Mrs. Huggles smashing pans in the kitchen, because she knows I'm recording. Knowledge! You know, we, we sometimes have issues getting actors to play the roles who have all the equipment they need. And, and not to give anything away, as I said, but in uh, episode 100 of Powerfic Weekly, you'll hear a very special masterfic uh, where Mike plays all of the female roles. Let's just stop for a second and think about that. How to my PFW partners. This here's Jen. Okay. Now, in Van Fiction's case, he's actually putting together a very professional production, so he is in need of actors. He's in need of um, men of any age to play parts, and he is in need of mature women, aren't we all? So, sorry, Mrs. Huggles is pouring flour right now, and it's, it's banging into the side of the pot. Hi, honey. She's, she's glaring at me. Please enjoy the following snippet of what they have managed to produce so far. If you are interested in helping them out, you can email him at danfiction at yahoo.com. I suggest you lie back and think about Gryffindors having a tendency to be brave to the point of stupidity. And then we need to talk about what you originally had in mind and make some decisions. All in favor of Neville taking over for Harry as leader of the DA. The Death Eater outfits... They really do mess with your head. The Dark Lord values your education more highly than you do, it would seem. You can. You found what you're really capable of last night. The magic that's always been there. And it's still there. It's whistling in the wind, you know. <coughs> we fight. We try. We're ready to bleed and die for this. <coughs> but even if we win, what's the use? We leave our houses at the door in this room. In here? We're all Dumbledore's army. That's for making me worry. Neville, I think you're going to be a great leader. Anna is... pretty. She's my friend. I've known her since we were 11. Hope for all of this, Neville. Hope for us. I'm going to marry her over Christmas if she says yes. If I don't see you again, that's for letting me be part of the dream. We still die. We die on our terms. We die accomplishing something. Not just picked off one by one in back alleys with our deaths glossed over and ignored. Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness by Fan Fiction. And it's me again. Just one more quick word from P.S. She's really powerful and I let her say things. Hi everybody, this is P.S. Interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast with a special charity announcement. The Support Stacy auction is coming up from September 11th to 14th. I'm offering a fic in the Doctor Who fandom, but there are plenty of represented fandoms, including Harry Potter. All you have to do to bid on an author is go to their thread during the auction and just bid. Lots of authors are offering bidder incentives. I'm writing a Drabble for every bidder, and it's really a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I would love to be bid on by a listener, but really, the important thing is the cause. So if you don't bid on me, bid on someone. If you do bid on me, great. If you're a Who fan, if you're familiar with my fix, all the information and links are in the show notes. I'd love to see you there. Now, cute podcast. 
were any of you guys on last week? Yeah. yeah. You guys were all on last week. Great. <laughs> last week was like, what, a total sausage fest? Gen 2 <laughs> was here for the first <laughs> <Okay>. bit. She <laughs> left. <laughs> and then Ryan panicked about having too many guys. Hello. Gen 2 had to go have sex, so um, <laughs> we wanted to add a woman into the podcast. I hope I didn't give anything away. Bye, Jeff. <laughs> we love you. It was kind of funny. For Sunday, September 6, 2009, this is episode 85 of Potterfit Weekly. So grab some popcorn, sit back and relax, and welcome to the place where the story never ends. We hold on to the wonder of that world through many pens And we'll never let go of all The ones we've made our friends And they'll say it's only a podcast But we know it's much more than that it's a community all of its own Where we even have our own sorting hat Where the hosts are all our friends And the stories told by Jen We'll always laugh before the end Part of it we please where the story never ends. Welcome back to Potterfic Weekly, everybody. I'm Rena. I'm Scott. Mike. I'm Tim. And tonight we are discussing chapters 7 through 13 of Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness. This is one of those stories that's actually growing on me, which I like. We have done some stories in the past that I thought I was going to hate, and I did. And those were always very uncomfortable. And we've done some stories in the past that I thought I was going to love, and I did. And those are always great. And then there are some that I, th- I thought I was going to hate and I loved, and some that I thought I was going to love that I hated. But this one is one, it's, you know, I didn't really like it at first. I didn't know what to think about it at first, but I, it's growing on me, I should say. <laughs> I, I agree with you about Founders Fix and Next Generation Fix, but I think you can't classify this with those because the difference is when you're talking about Founder Fix or Next Generation Fix, we have no background with the characters. They're not established in our mind. They're not sort of pre-built for us. Whereas this fic, even though it's not from a Harry perspective, these are all, or at least mostly all, characters we're already familiar with. We've met them. We've seen them. We at least have some idea of what their characters are like in canon. And so that makes this much more, I think, of a canon fic than most non-Harry perspective fics are. I mean, I don't necessarily think it's like a, a Founders fic. I was just using that more as an example. I never could get into the Founders fics because I wasn't really invested in those particular characters. It wasn't necessarily because I didn't know anything about them. It's the same reason why, you know, a lot of people have written stories now that focus on Hannah or focus on Cho or focus on Cedric, you know, and those weren't characters that I ever really got invested in because they weren't quote unquote main characters of the book. And so that's kind of why I always glossed over them. And even the Marauder era fix. I start reading those and about five sentences in my eyes cross because I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> and so that that's why I had I had reservations about reading this particular fic because I thought it was going to be like that. Like I wasn't going to be able to really muster up 
enough give a shit about it to enjoy the story. And I was I was very pleasantly surprised. I am impressed with the writing quality in this particular fic. I think it is incredibly well written. I think that it's very dark um, mm-hmm. in places. And that's a little bit different from what I'm used to. It's unexpected at a lot of points, but it somehow works. There are things that you don't think of, but once they're brought up, you're like, yeah, that actually makes sense that that would happen, or so that things would work that way, or whatever it might be. Jumping into the story, then. I was a little surprised at the beginning of this chapter that... Yeah, um, naked girl on the bed. Well, that too. I, <laughs> that I was too. surprised more didn't happen at the end of last chapter. Neville marches to Snape, confronts him, and that thing happens. Before Neville came in, he'd just been saying how tragic it was that the boys had wandered into the forest and had obviously been uh, torn apart in a tragic occurrence by the werewolves, and then he shows up alive, so he can't really punish him too much for showing up. But, yeah, I'm yeah. curious, now that you're on this right now, I know I asked Tim and Scott this last week, but I'm curious your take on Snape's role in this. Do you see him in this? Because we know from canon, obviously, that he's a, quote, you know, good guy. He's trying to follow Dumbledore's order to protect the students, etc., in theory. So reading this fic, how much of his actions do you read as him sort of being, like, really cleverly plotting trying to help Neville by appearing to be too strict to sort of drive people to him. How much do you read as him just like losing his temper with Neville and honestly disliking Neville? Like, how are you reading Snape in this? Really, I think it's kind of 50-50 at this point. I think that obviously we know that Snape is a good guy, yes, but we know that his character is also incredibly flawed by prejudices and that he is completely unable to let them go. He mm-hmm. does not like yeah. him. He, he does not have any respect for him. He does not like him as a person. And I think it puts Snape, I mean, this story, I'm not, as you would say, a Snape fan, really. I mean, in certain contexts, I like the character, but I think a lot of people romanticize him. Thank you. And and I don't like that because they're thinking of Alan Rickman and they're not thinking of this character. It's the same thing they do with Draco, I think. They're I'm thinking so of glad to hear you say that. <laughs> the actor instead of the character. And, and these are not, you know, Draco is not supposed to be this, oh, he's such a tortured romantic, la 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 la. It's like, no, he's a smarmy little bastard and he's always going to be a smarmy little bastard, you know? I disagree with both those takes, but go on. I do like in the story (laughs) that I can appreciate the position he's been put in here because he is charged to protect these children as much as he can, and he does not like them. Hmm. And And also, he's sitting beside the Karos who are completely nuts. So he has, I mean, this is between a rock and a hard place and a knife and a pointy stick. I mean, there's, there's no direction he can go where he has any kind of leeway because on the one hand, he has to maintain appearances. On the other hand, he does not want to hurt these children, but he doesn't like them. He can't stand most of them. And I'm sure part of him is just like, why the hell am I protecting these kids? They're morons. I don't like them. Let me just let them die. You know, I mean, for the first time in in all of canon, I really could empathize with the position he was in because of this story, knowing what we know in canon, knowing that we know he is really doing things in the best interest of the order and then seeing the way he treats the kids in this story. I think Andrew did a fantastic job of, of walking that boundary. I think, I mean, and that's one thing that has stuck out with me in, in a lot of these chapters is that for the first time, I actually respect the position that Snape 
life was in. And and for me to say that, that is a huge accomplishment. So big fat gold star for you, Andrew. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I've noticed that in this point and in several other points and the story as I've been reading it, he's not really good about, or he does this quite often where you have, it ends on one note and then the next chapter picks up and it's like two weeks later and we have no idea what happened in the interim. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just that gap that's there. And I understand that sometimes you can do that in a story and sometimes it's necessary to kind of keep your pacing. But I, f- I almost feel like he overuses that as a tactic because, because yeah, there should have been something else. There should have been more fallout here. Something should have happened between Neville making that announcement and where this chapter starts. And it's been, there's been a couple the of times. The biggest time that happens is chapter eight as well. Yes. Yes. And, and we'll get there in just a minute, but, but it's, a, you know, might very well fill in the gap with a one shot at this point. For all I know, he had, he's written one already. Right. And I mean, and that's completely possible and that's totally his perspective as an author and, and that's okay. That's just one thing that I don't like that he did necessarily. I don't like it when they do that mm-hmm. in television shows. I don't like that when they do that in books. <laughs> I mean, I like the continuity a little bit better. And I mean, and yeah, it is something that you learn as you grow as a writer. But anyway, someone else can talk because I've been talking for like two minutes straight and I don't want to be Ryan. Damn you all! Well, the next place we get to, Neville walks out of the shower. Having Fortunately, he has some clothes on, but he walks out of the shower. He's carrying his towel, drying his hair off, and there's a girl sitting on his bed. And he's understandably a bit shocked. This is a really good scene between both of them because all the things that Hannah brings up, um, you can definitely see her going through with them because he's just been gone for three weeks and for the last two days they all thought he was ripped apart by werewolves in the forest. Right. Either the werewolves or the acromantulas. Or the acromantulas and the werewolves who ripped each other apart instead. Yes, well, that worked out rather well in their case, but I bet Ron would have liked to be there. Right. Acromantulas <laughs> being torn apart. What did you guys think of that whole thing and, and the murder and the little news article about uh, you-know-who killing purebloods? I thought that was a nice touch. That was done really well. It goes to say that Voldemort has no interest in pureblood supremacy. He is just... That shit insane. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I think in the in canon, that's not even a perspective for Voldemort. The pureblood cause in its own right is kind of a nasty, creepy cause, I think, to our modern sensibilities. But it's but not for even Voldemort, that he's, it's all personal. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's not even that he's really following this cause. It's just him being a twisted, psychotic wacko, really. Mm-hmm. Just by using some of those things and the fact that he does hate muggles himself, he can get them to work for him and do whatever he wants done. It's not really about getting them into power or anything. It's about getting him into where he wants to be. Yeah, that can be a problem because he gets almost into, you know, comic book supervillain territory. I think in canon almost, Voldemort almost comes off as actually following the agenda, which is almost a break from how you hear see him described in other books. If you get what I'm saying, in the, in the whole thing where like, you know, like he's giving all the purebloods extra chances after they defy him to come around because he doesn't want to like, you know, like he offers, doesn't he offer Neville a chance to join him at the end of book seven or am I imagining or is that a fic that actually happens. no he they're sending all the purebloods in one direction and all the half-bloods in another and Neville refuses to go with the purebloods isn't that what happens uh... yeah that was actually after the end uh, by Arabella and Xenia uh, we read it a while back it was really good and it was actually uh, Lavender not Neville because if you think of them side by side one of them is you know, batshit crazy with a spoon, and the the other one uh, can't dance. Although, in this fic, is kind of a badass. And 
kind of scares the crap out of me, and I, and I like that. I like that better than not being able to dance. I can't dance either, so maybe there's hope. I thought it was at the end when, when, when Neville steps out to defy him, and Voldemort's like, you're a pure blood, step back, and I will spare your defying. I can't actually remember, but I could see him doing that. I think it's more like Voldemort, at this point, mm-hmm. has realized that most of his followers are dead, and um, dead. if he <laughs> wants to have anybody left... That's true. But no. yes, they do. People whose friends he has messily murdered. Mm-hmm. Which is not really going to be a help. It's not the sharpest mm-hmm. crayon in the box, let's face it. He has now, Harry okay. tied to a tombstone, and he starts monologuing for seven or eight pages. Right, exactly. <laughs> Here's a question. Now, I don't know if this is just me being weird, but um, the thing about McGonagall being a war bride, mm-hmm. that's not something I would like, have seen. Huh? <laughs> you know? Well, like, you don't really think of McGonagall being married. You don't think of them having lives outside of the class. I think students yeah. look at teachers don't realize they're actually people. Oh, when mm-hmm. I was a small child, I really believed that all my teachers lived at the school. I didn't realize that they had houses that they went to, that they would go home at the end of the day just like I did. I thought they had to live at the school. And I'm sure this is even worse because these guys don't have houses they go to. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Most of them, anyway. It comes up in other fix lives for the teachers, and it can work well, but it's not something you generally expect. Things are just starting to get a little heavy, and she says... Oh, yes. Um, Mr. Longbottom, as pleased as I am that rumors of your demise were clearly exaggerated, neither my relief nor your new celebrity allows for carnal impropriety in the dormitories. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was great because so many times, you know, you walk a really fine line when you write a character like McGonagall because you don't have a lot of leeway from canon. You know, with younger characters, people grow and evolve and change. But once you've reached her age, you're not going to change your personality. You're not going to change your mannerisms. You're not going to change, you know, how you go about things. And so people's basic personalities don't really change anyway. Right, right. But when you're younger, I mean, you're the way you speak, the way you carry yourself, the way you interact with people, it changes as you grow. When you write younger characters, if you don't get them just like spot on perfect, like they are in canon, you have a little bit of leeway. Your perceptions do change. Your interactions, what like you interacting with the world around you, you interacting with the people around you, that's going to change as you grow up, as you mature, as you have life experiences. Once you reach McGonagall's age or Dumbledore's age you're not going to change that much and when we have a character like McGonagall the time you set out to try and write her you're walking a really fine line because if you go even just a little bit in either direction it's going to be really obvious it's not in line with what the canon character is but I really like I really like the way he wrote her it's just the war bride thing was just I think it's established that if she wasn't a contemporary of Tom Riddle, she either left school shortly before he came or left school shortly after him or something along those lines. So you have a rough time period to work with. I don't know. Wouldn't she become a teacher? We know that, don't we? Um, Early 60s, I think it was. I think I'm it was not sure. I know she became a teacher because notes. she became a teacher when Dumbledore – because she replaces Dumbledore as the transfiguration teacher. Mm-hmm. So whenever it is that there was whenever he became job. headmaster, yeah, but we're not. I'm not sure if we know exactly when that was, but we sort of have approximate idea anyway. I'm kind well, of anyway. glad that okay. Hannah didn't let Neville follow her advice from this, though. It's the sort of advice you could see McGonagall giving, but um, it uh, doesn't fit as well with their characters to actually right. go and do that. Because we have our, our Slytherins, dun dun dun. 
And um, they now, for the first time, here's the Slytherin getting in trouble, getting retaliation. He's he's being attacked because of his association. And I think that's interesting because everybody has to fight for their own reason. And this is a situation where somebody who wasn't really fighting for the right reasons or somebody who was just like trying to jump ship or be a turncoat or whatever, this is the point where they would run off in the other direction. And he doesn't. And I like well, that. By the time of book seven, if you weren't already in over your head with Voldemort, probably would have gone a running when he fed the frigate muggle studies teacher to the frigate snake. But I don't think that was public knowledge. True, true, true. But it was enough knowledge that even the Malfoys seemed to start to have second thoughts. Yeah, and to be fair, I, I guess in this fic, most of the Slytherins we see helping Neville are doing so for... Selfish not, reasons, not, not, basically. Not, I don't want to say selfish, per se, because, for instance, your father being you know tortured and punished isn't necessarily selfish, yeah. but not personal for reasons. ideological reasons. Right, personal yeah. reasons, not ideological. Yeah. Well, you could argue that's a very Slytherin thing to do. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> You keep the your other... head down unless it benefits you personally. Mm-hmm. Baddock, or whatever his name is, is sort of... Um, he joined up because historically he knows that resistance movements like this tend to win and he wants to be on the winning side. Whereas, um, whereas Runcorn, um, it said in the chapter he was introduced that he was the one that muggle hating sort of philosophy, but Neville felt more confident in him because it was much more personal. His reason for joining was that, uh, Voldemort had tortured his dad and, you know, he's going to stick with it that way. Nice time to do that. We see what happens when Harry, uh, goes crazy in the ministry throughout these chapters we've read so far and i haven't finished the fic yet it's built upon sort of this hero worship of harry and they're all talking about and they're both also thinking about it being sort of like a conventional war and harry's gonna become sort of like their general and he's gonna like lead them into battle i can't help wondering like what's gonna happen when harry shows up and he's like uh yeah guys see you later while i go look for the crown of dead ravenclawers while you guys you know do whatever you want to do and he hasn't been there where while all this is building up he's quite shocked to show up and see all these 50 people in the room with him going to go into battle or whatever. He forgot that it wouldn't just be, you know, him and Voldemort one-on-one, though in the end it ended up being just that. There'd be other things that would have to be done first. Harry's priority was killing Horcruxes and rendering Voldemort vulnerable, so he wouldn't come back in another 10 or 20 years to start the whole cycle all over again when the good guys were even weaker than they had been before. He's been going through this whole thing basically on his own all the time, and he knows what he has to get done. Neville says this is the first time a Gryffindor is going to be sorry to see a Slytherin leave. And Rennie says, don't get sentimental, I was fighting for the right to hate you. And Neville responds that he's nasty, conniving, muckle-hating slime, but he has guts. Something bad is, is coming to this character, and this is the first time that they step up and say, okay, this is for one of our own, for the Fallen. Long live HP and, and the whole being able to send out the note and everything. I mean, I think that that, again, shows a lot of courage, and I like that. I really do, because so many times in so many stories, yeah, the Slytherin is a good guy or is a is a friend of the of the cause for whatever reason. But when push comes to shove, they're still in it for themselves. This kid is about to die. 
die. He's about to be tortured to death. And he stopped to send the message to the group and to say, make them pay and that they were able to band together around him. I mean, it was a horrible thing that had to happen, but I think it's a good rallying point. Death of a child is always a good rallying point. And of course, then it, it turns the table smack on Luna. And this and- is where the biggest one of those jumps between chapters, oh no, Luna, and you go to chapter eight and expect and like, something to happen with wait, that. Where is she? <laughs> it comes out later in the chapter. It works up because it turns out it's now December and Neville himself has no idea what's going on with Luna. And when is Snape going to do something? So that works, but it is very disconcerting. But let I me, mean, like we said, with the last chapter, that's that's something that is kind of common among people who, you know, it's a first fic. And I mean, for a first fic, it's freaking amazing this i mean amazing. i'm well done. yes i'm very impressed and there are just a couple of little things that need a, a little bit of adjustment and that's that's one of them a lot of suspense right at the beginning of this chapter because you go from them sitting in the great hall to apparently they're in the middle of a fight with death eaters and you're going wait what that didn't happen in the book yet surely they right. skipped to yeah. june already and then because at first when i was reading it i'm thinking okay did they just don't tell me we're gonna have to do flashbacks damn it you know, <laughs> I was getting kind of angry when I first read this. I was like, oh, don't even tell me. But it, it righted itself pretty quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did actually figure it out before they said that it was a training exercise, or I thought it might be. Interesting use of the room. They do a, a, they do a lot of that in this, this story, actually. There's a lot of neat things that can be done with the room, and it's logical that you could get it to do that because it can supposedly do anything you ask of it. But um, I wouldn't have thought of using it as a complete simulation like that, or especially having it open the door in all sorts of different parts of the castle, because you're used to it being tied to the seventh floor corridor that they have to come in by. Yes, thank you. I meant to say something about that earlier. As I'm sure everybody who's ever listened to the episodes know, I'm... I would be the canon Nazi. I, I don't know that the idea of the room of requirement could just like, I mean, it's not a wormhole. I mean, it's not just going to pop <laughs> wherever the hell it feels like, you know. But it does that in canon. It does that in the canon. When to do that in the canon? The door doesn't it, move, though. Well, it opens up a passageway in Deathly Hallows to the hog's head. And it, mm-hmm. I think it opens up other places throughout the castle as well. I thought there was just a secret passage that led there. I didn't think that the door actually moved. The fact that it can open a passage the back room of the hog's head maybe they're just it opens up other doors around the walls or something you can go out places rather than being the same door they came in by right there has to be some limit to it i mean open you anywhere they could have just opened them to the headmaster's office for instance so there has to be some sort of limit or some sort of rule on where it can open to or where it can yeah like otherwise why climb up the side of the tower great gopher holes it slipped my mind Please give me the sort of Gryffindor. <laughs> Harry wouldn't have even had to go to do anything. He could have just gone in the room of requirement and be like, please bring me the Horcruxes one at a time. Thank you. Line them up. Bam, 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 bam. They weren't all in the school, so that probably wouldn't have worked. But yeah. One of my favorite things in this story, hands down, is the relationship between Neville and his grandmother. <laughs> I, I really like their relationship, and especially since it's very sort of one-dimensional as canon. It's like, oh, Neville's scared of his grandmother and you know you know the snake turns into his grandmother's vulture's hat and she's kind of disappointed <laughs> double uh, the bonker did point you just of order. say that snape turned into his grandmother's <laughs> vulture's hat <laughs> 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 no i'm sorry 
sorry. I got this picture in my head of her standing there with a vulture on her arm that has a top hat on. <laughs> it's a lot really, better. It, it, it's a lot better. I enjoy seeing them interacting a lot. The cliche route to do it would be to show them having like this super lovey-dovey relationship. Like, you know, like secretly they have like a mother-son sort of. But they clearly, she does not have a mother's role in his life. But they do have a very close and a very, there's love there. But it's not, it, I, I'm not saying mm-hmm. it well. But you get what I'm saying? It's, it's not a mother. She doesn't take the place of his mother, I think, in his life. Yeah. And it's it's not taken completely out of what we know from canon. Like she does, she still references him being Frank's son, which has been the main point that we've gotten out of it from canon is that she doesn't think he measures up. Now she does. She knows that he's a great kid and that Frank and Alice would be proud of him, but it's still referenced. It's not completely 180 from what she, we know of her before. Before they get Rennie's letter, they're doing wizarding jokes in bed and oh, they're yeah. all, oh my they're gosh. all sort of, I uh, just about fell out of my chair when I read that one. They're sort of a basic template. You can see where they'd got them from, but it's enough changes to make it authentically a magical joke sort of thing. Or um, Seamus comes into the common room and he has to finish turning his badger into a footstool or footstool into a badger or something like that. And just little touches like that that keep the... They are still actually in school, even if much of it is horrid. It was one of my pet peeves in canon that there really is a separate wizarding culture, not just separate people, separate ideologies, but separate sets of shared mythologies, shared stories, shared inside jokes the existence of separate wizarding fairy tales in like the first couple books but that's me well part of that is it may be that she just hadn't quite thought of that yet because she hadn't worked out what needed to be done in seventh book part of it is harry wouldn't notice he wouldn't think to look for the fairy tale books because he's so completely wowed by his school books oh i, I was surprised that they could make green stunners to fake the avada Kedavra. why not but i wouldn't have thought of them being able to do that just the stunning spell generally would be the red light or whatever. He actually plans out if whether something going to happen to Luna or if something happens to her dad once they have that uh, possibility. He makes a plan for both things. Neville's getting better and better at making plans and figuring this stuff out. He's done really well in a short amount of time. Would you guys have handled things the same way Neville did if you were in charge? I have no way to know. <laughs> that is a very loaded question. Yeah. Or you, like, you know, like, like, no like assuming you were brave enough, like, like, is this the way you would intellectually want yourself to be able to handle it? Leaving out the, like, would I be brave enough to go through what Neville went through? Intellectually, do you think he's going about it the right way? I don't know. It's a hypothetical situation. I tend it's not hard to, to say to go if that Neville way. did it right or not either because so far in the story it seems to have worked out quite well and I agree with a lot of the points that he brings up when he's teaching for example who's to know if he'd done something slightly different it might have worked out better if they hadn't got caught in the Great Hall in the first place. What I always wonder I guess as I'm reading this is that how much of the order at this part of the book is still alive I always wonder like why are because you know so many of these kids especially in um, the inner circle have parents Parents who are in the Order of the Phoenix, don't they? Well, at least Ginny does. Um, is Neville's grandmother in the Order? I don't think, I don't think so. so. Well, we know the Weasleys are still alive. We know Kingsley is still alive. We know... Well, I wonder why they don't ever see... I mean, there's there's all, all these adults you'd think they'd have contact to, but they never we see... We don't them. even know in canon because, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Back alive. up to the when Ginny got the packet. Well, they had to hide all the stuff for her that they didn't want people to see 
in her bra. Yeah. It was a package from her you mother, know? so it like had an extra right. scarf and some right. under things. Everything is being yeah. screened, and they had to send it to Hogsmeade because it's being screened even more to get in the castle. That's why they're not the adults, because they can't. Yeah. The reason that they... Lenny's package got through is because the owl has a Death Eater band on its leg and doesn't get checked. And Everything is being screened so hard that if they tried to contact somebody... First of all, they'd have to write it in some kind of incredibly complex code. And then if it wasn't arranged beforehand, there's no way that they'd be able to tell that it was in code. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, there's a lot of difficulty with some of those things. So, so yeah, I, I guess moving on, if we're ready to move on, it sounds like yeah. something I really like, which is uh, we have all sort of like tension and tension and like, you know, big serious doings ons and like nail biters. And then we get this sort of trip into the muggle world, right? That's the next chapter, isn't it? The trip to the muggle world. And it's kind of almost like comedic relief this sort of little fun part stuck in the middle of all the serious stuff all their trouble with the money changing and girls That's who hard wolf, whistle, dis- wolf whistle at Ernie when he takes his um, outer shirt off and it's hard describing like average things that people would run into every day as if the reader as had never, never seen, seen them before the birth certificate doesn't have the usual thing where you morph from your baby self into your current <laughs> age and back and <laughs> right all, all these little things that uh, he brings in that Andrew brings in from his sort of version of the wizarding world that what they would use to make things work. Like you have your wand type on your ID and all these moving pictures and that sort of thing. And then the differences between that and muggle stuff. And for some reason, I, I think, I don't know if it was, if I'm reading too much into it, but I got a kick out of the, uh, the escalators they ride on. Cause I'm thinking it's kind of like, it's similar to Harry's reaction when he sees the moving staircases in Hogwarts, and now it's the wizard seeing the moving staircases in the Muggle world. And st- yeah. <laughs> Wait, they don't have magic? I do like that. There's only one reason young people have gone to Gretna Green for the last 300 years. I never heard of Gretna Green. Is that like a real? It's, yeah. it's across the border into Scotland, so there are less um, there are less restrictions on who can get married. So yeah. the Eng- the English um, people eloping would run away to Gretna Green. So that- it's basically Las Vegas. Gotcha. At least in that sense. Except not sleazy. And not <laughs> owned by it, Donald Trump. No Elvises, but, you know. Right. <clears throat> Although now, maybe you can get a, a Dumbledore. Who knows? <laughs> could do. I bet I, I mean, there's some place you could be married by someone in a Dumbledore costume. I'm sure. Mm. Something we didn't mention from last chapter that um, was brought up last week is they figured out the reason the Creevies are still there. It turns out their mother was a squib who's related to the Little Strangers. He's brought oh, in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Can remember people debating that why was he uh, still in Hogwarts. Yeah, we know that was contradicted by canon, but I'm guessing it didn't actually come out until after Andrew had already figured that whole thing out. What was but the canon reason? She, oh, I, I don't consider her interview. He canon. snuck back in. Just Colin, not Dennis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the coat check kid who is completely shocked by the owl. That, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> what are you, a witch? Well, as a matter of fact, I... <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I'd be pretty freaked out, too, if I saw someone... The queen. You know, how freaked out would you be Like if you saw a bunch of kids walking down with owls in cages? Like, you don't see owls in cages that often. It's true. It's not exactly common. It's the SCP field thing. Most people tend not to notice things right. they're not accustomed to. That is an excellent analogy. I, I don't even know who just said that. That was me. I wasn't Tim. looking. I'm sorry. 
sorry. I wasn't looking at my screen. No one important said it. Oh, oh, come on. If you must know, it's a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. I know it's hitchhiker's guide. The somebody else's problem thing. People mm-hmm. who, and it's even pointed out in the canon, muggles don't notice things. Yeah. Don't notice all the people walking through the walls. I read that all the time, but to extent, I think that's overrated. I like the clerk in the um, clothing shop, and Ernie has to go over all um, lordly and guy with money, and then he's completely fawning to him. Are you drinking unfamiliar potions? No, man, it's alcohol! <laughs> Backstory for all of these characters who we never hear about in canon. Mm-hmm. A lot of questions we never ask, a lot of answers we never get. Ernie being from a rich family from Inverness, uh, you wouldn't necessarily peg him as being Scottish just because he happens to be called Macmillan. Um, he could be, but that doesn't yeah. and then always go through. Drunk. Neville is from Yorkshire. Susan has black hair. Where a lot of Susans these days will have red hair because of the um, Chris Columbus's daughter who got cast in the first Sorcerer's Stone movie, it. yeah, right. Who transplanted inexplicably to Gryffindor and then back to Hufflepuff. I swear that one sentence that Ernie says when it's just like he's like all of a sudden he went like Mega Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that that absolutely I, that cracked yeah. me up. It's a good thing this isn't one that I'm trying to narrate because yeah, I don't think I'd get that very well. <laughs> <laughs> try it, Scott. Go right now. Now you have to try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ten points to Hufflepuff if you do it. Can you so, do that? So we have this great, funny scene. You know, oh my gosh, they're going to get married, and it's so sweet, and everything's great, and everybody's drunk, and blah 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 blah. blah. You know, all this great stuff happens, and then because this is a Harry Potter story, and it, it, nothing. Can and stay good for long. Bam. What comes There's next? There's the patroness. Yes. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, Dennis Creevy has apparently gone bat crap crazy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and now we have to leave the whole wedding afterglow thing and go save some freaked out kid. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of times, just in the middle of chapters like this, there's the big contrast brought between the, right. uh, Neville and Seamus joking on the bed, and then there's a bloodstained letter coming in the window. They're in the afterglow of being married, and then there's they have to go and find Colin bleeding to death from his uh, chopped off hand. And I think my favorite line is the, uh, Can you, can't you cast resurrection on him? Yeah. <laughs> yes, his friend knows D&D. <laughs> yeah. One, we don't have enough diamond dust. Two, okay. well, it doesn't work that course, way. And of course, they're, they're calling... He calls them mages. I mean, they're all lawful good fighters. Explaining yeah. in terms he understands. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so well, she has to tell him their all their middle names to figure out like like so that he believes their names that they're are too actually normal. Born. Yeah. <laughs> witches aren't witches aren't named Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then there's the use of grinding rock as disguise to get away. Someone goes freaking Star Wars on him, and he tries to duct tape it. I loved that line. <laughs> Little reference stuff. And Neville's completely confused. And see, every once in a while, most of the time when people try to throw stuff like that into a story like this, it just kind of grates on my nerves. Because usually it's something like, because it's not done this well, I should say. It's it's some character who really should have no idea what the hell Star, Star Wars is, or duct tape for that matter. And they, they'll make some reference to it, and it's just like, oh my god. But this, I, yeah, I love that. They end up trying to mimic a transfusion when none of them really know what it is because they can't find blood replenishing potions. And you know, Yeah, I was thinking, isn't, if, if you do a blood transfer with the wrong blood, doesn't that kill the person? It can, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, what are the odds? 
out that all three of them had the same blood. I was thinking that I'm like, he was oh my going God, to this die anyway. You just have to hope that Neville is O negative or whatever. O negative is the universal donor, which mm-hmm. means anybody can receive it. Type AB negative is the universal recipient, which means if you have AB blood, you can get blood transfusion from anybody anywhere and it will be fine because you have the antibodies for all of the different types of blood. Right? The other thing is it's magic. Right. They all got magic in their blood, so you know, it works. <laughs> well, and then of course, if I get it wrong, Hannah chuckled, but there were tears in her eyes. Yeah, you might kill him. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what, what's the rarest type of blood? Is there one that's rarer than all the others to have? A- AB negative is the rarest type of blood. O is the most common. Okay. And AB negative is the one that anyone can, you can take anything? Mm-hmm. It's something like 13% of the population has AB negative blood and or something. I could be just making that up. I don't know. I think I heard that. You think, like you know, me being the healthcare person, I would know that. But So we go from that where they're them? being pursued by Death Eaters. Some six of them have just shown up and the guy turns on the blast rock music and is probably going to be killed. That I don't quite get because yes, it disguises the apparating noises, but the reason they weren't apparating is because they'd hear it and come down and you don't think they're going to hear the rock music that suddenly turns on? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I wondered that too when I read that. It was very brave of him though. It I works. Guess it's just a was trying to act muggle-ish so that they thought it was just like a muggle hanging out in his basement. I, I, that was yeah. kind of how I read it. That could work too, yeah. yeah. But anyway, we have the moment of relief because they show, show up at the borough fine and the order are there and they've got everything under control and Neville can finally go off and just collapse for a while. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, but this... I loved this because it, it's one of those things that I can so see happening to like people I know in a moment like this. You know, they show up, they're covered in blood. Mrs. Weasley's like, I know your mom. Did she ever teach you that charm for skinning parching peas? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa, Molly, focus. Yeah. Come on. Got somebody bleeding to death over here. You know? <laughs> yeah, but maybe they need parching peas in the potion. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. There's a lot of little moments of humanity where you have to have stuff like that in there because that would happen in real life. You know, someone's going to be like, oh, yes, we're in the middle of this fight for our life. Oh, by the way, did you get orange juice? Wait a minute. Focus. Okay, go. You know, (laughs) I mean, stuff like that just happens. And and sometimes, you know, you see something and it just triggers and you just respond and it might be completely inappropriate in the situation. But I mean, I just... Like their betting pool earlier. um, They they describe the pool and it's like, oh, yeah, put me down for six sickles on Easter. Oh, wait, we're uh, going to to meet Malfoy. Yes, right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, well, I love that they think because Neville's. I, I I think it's a nice reminder that we've been following along with Neville changing so much. But that if you think what he must seem like, that everyone anyone knows him, that they they're so suspicious that this is really Neville because he's not acting like the Neville they remember from previous years. Well, part and, of that is he's hopped up on some sort of calming potion, basically, and yeah. adrenaline. I wasn't. Was I the only one that was a little offended, or not not offended? That that was like a little like, how could you say that, Mister? Weasley when he makes that comment about Harry and what he's like, oh, Harry doesn't deal with a lot more. He has Ron, Hermione, Dumbledore, Sirius, and myself, and Molly. Yeah, he, he watched two of those people die, at least blames himself for half of them. He has no family members left. I, I didn't quite agree with Mr. Weasley's comment there. Well, mm-hmm. he has those people, but he isn't always aware that he has those people. It's not like Molly or Arthur are more there for Harry than Neville's grandmother is for Neville. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I 
I didn't I didn't quite agree with that comment from Mr. Weasley. I thought it was a disservice. It, it does seem to be just, what Neville needs at this point, though. Yeah, yeah this is I just like my experience. That, that whole thing with Mr. Weasley, that there's actually a father figure who's worth something in this story and um, does really well with that whole conversation with Neville to sort of talk him down. So I was just going to say that in my experience, sometimes your family is only as there for you as you allow them to be. Harry has a bad habit of shutting people out to supposedly protect them when they'd, you know, gladly, you know, throw themselves into the fray of battle if it meant he didn't have to suffer as much. And Harry forgets that. I think people in general forget that sometimes. I think the thing is that it's not often pointed out that Harry actually has a lot more people there for him than even Harry notices. But argue from dawn until dusk about the reason, but I would say that it's because Harry's never had that before. He never had that before. You know, Hagrid showed up at the hut on the rock, so he never got used to it. He never got used to the idea of, wow, you know, I don't have to do all this myself. Mm -hmm. Because he's basically been trained for 10 years to do anything that needs to be done, he has to do on his own. If he tries to ask questions or anything, he's just going to get slapped down for it. Well, I think more than that, though, that's also the lesson that's reinforced to him in Hogwarts. Because what happens to every single, pretty pretty much every single authority figure that comes into his life, they they end up dead or they leave. You know, like Remus, he's not dead at least at first, but he but he leaves year three. We don't really see him again. Sirius dies in book five. Dumbledore dies in book six. So even mm-hmm. once he gets Sirius to Hogwarts, is a big lesson, yeah. Remus is a wimp. Sirius was messed up in the head. It's still kind of mentally stuck at the age where he thought, well, Harry's just a little baby. This must be James. And uh, Dumbledore, Dumbledore kept his own counsel until, you know, and well, was afraid to fight the good fight until it was literally the last thing he may ever do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not even argue. talking about how good of a role model they were, yeah. because I think every role model has yeah. flaws. I don't, think them, was, I don't think Sirius was a bad started on Snape. I mean, he wasn't yeah. perfect, but, but my point is not so much whether they were good, but that none of them last. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's just Harry pre-Hogwarts that learns this lesson. I think it's Harry just in general, like all of his yeah. people he looks up to leaves at me from like you know year one all the defense teachers he kills Quirrell Quirrell was mostly useless Lockhart I'm saying that in the formative years it got hammered into his head and there was never anything to you know really steer him from that until he was already in that pattern Harry is let's face it he is socially stunted in a lot of regards heck quite a few characters are I'd argue that Hermione is socially stunted Neville is too but in different directions yeah it's the unreliable narrator thing how is Hermione by book six socially centered? I would argue that at least, at the very least, she is when we first meet her. She has no idea of how to interact with people. As a matter of fact, I'd argue that it, as late as the fifth book, she really has no idea to, you know, how to interact with people, but that's a whole other thing altogether. She mm. kind of has to get her priorities in line, which she eventually does. I like Neville's last line in this chapter, though, because once he's sort of figured out that, yeah, he was a little harsh on Colin, he's just had supper. He says, oh, um, I guess I have to save room to eat some crow as well. 
Yeah, I, and I, I like that. I like that he has that humility. That's that a part of Neville from the beginning. Like he was always yeah. humble. He just didn't he didn't have the um, backbone to sort of back it up. And now right. he, he keeps the the better parts of himself as he was while also developing. So we come into our next chapter, and this is where we have a bit of a twist that comes right at the start of this particular chapter, and that is that we get a note, a mysterious note from Draco Malfoy. Dun, 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 dun. It's in the middle of one of Luna's earrings, apparently, that's been split, so it opens. <laughs> I like that her earrings aren't, um, they're not, was it onions that, that Harry describes, Matt? They're not onions. They're like something else, aren't they? Radishes. 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 But, but, but here, don't they say like it's not a radish, it's like some magical. Original plums. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. It makes Luna seem a little less crazy. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think having plums in your ears is just as weird as having radishes personally. But I mean, <laughs> maybe in the wizarding world, it's like a big fun thing to do is to wear vegetables or fruit or something from your body part. I don't know. Moving right along. <laughs> it's probably Somebody's the fashion in Sweden. Like a, someone's going to walk in with like a pumpkin hanging around their neck. Or whatever other planet Luna is on half the time. Well, don't get me wrong, I like Luna, but she is in another she is a little odd. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hard to write her well, actually, because you have to get that down. More like it's easy to get her wrong. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a better characterization of it because because it you know it's she's another one of those characters that you kind of have to get perfectly or it's just going to suck or that just could be me being way way too picky which is completely possible it is easy to go either over the top on the kookiness or to miss some of that somehow yeah you know what's really crazy is like when people try to write smut about luna oh god and they always like i mean that girl apparently is into some serious kink it's like (laughs) well it is always the quiet ones Depending on where you look, every single character is into some really weird things. So, <laughs> yes, yes, that is very true. Well, I read thick where Hermione had a leather fetish. So, really, that is disturbing. Hello, I'm Jen. I so. take that back because I read a fic that was a solo fic, and it was about Hermione and books. <laughs> and and that was just like, oh come wow. on, Hermione books is canon. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Phil There's even an icon for it on the forum. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway, well, yes, Hermione loves books. We understand that. But I believe the point of this story... She loves, that, loves books. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a little over the top, even for me. <laughs> but it's canon. <laughs> yes. So. But yes, anyway, okay. I have to plan how to work out this whole meeting with Malfoy because he decides it has to be done. Yes. Apparently he's worked out about the room or, well, we know he knows about it and he's guessing that's probably where they are. Um, yes. I like their banter because Seamus is figuring it's uh, it's too bad Mad-Eye isn't still there because they turn him into a ferret and keep him in a little maze in the uh, room. And Parvati figures they should get Hermione to knit him little sweaters. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Colin has an idea, which works out really well, actually. You know, I, I really like this particular Colin. You know, there's there's basically two schools of thought when you have somebody write about Colin. He's either, well, I guess there's more than that. But the, like the predominant ones are, he's either some like secret genius, or he's a complete 
complete, complete space cadet, like worse than Luna, or he's like a flaming little fairy boy. <laughs> and and there's that there doesn't actually, ever that's what? actually commented on on one of the Colin centric one shots. I'll leave you to read it. It's, oh, um, okay. You know, but people people like stereotype him into these different areas, and I like the way that that Andrew has used him in this story because he still has all of his bounciness. Or I can't remember who it is uh, uh, describes him as sparkly, and, but he's got these hidden depths, and he's he's an intelligent kid. He can figure things out that people wouldn't have thought of they don't expect him to because he's got this sort of enthusiastic front yeah and um basically harry fanboy you know reading that character for the first time you know the first time we were introduced to colin in canon the very first time we were introduced to him my first thought was is he supposed to be like a, a mock of a fanboy was that like the idea behind the character that was <laughs> the phenomenon honestly, hadn't really taken off yet i'd well, argue yes, that, I know that but i'd argue that he was introduced to compare and contrast his behavior toward harry with jenny you know say this is not fawning fan. This is, you know, kind of. Mm. Right, yeah. But then I'm rather fond of meta. So. Figure out a lot of things from different points in the canon. But yeah, he's another one who's matured a lot through this year, and it, it makes sense that he would, because, well, in this chapter, his brother's just been attacked and apparently hasn't spoken for weeks now. Yes, and, yeah. Well, he's found out that his parents are dead. Mm-hmm. Which is, is understandably a... Um, big stressor, but we're still not quite sure what's going on with Dennis yet, so hopefully yeah. things will work out there. But yes, hopefully. they go through, and he actually meets Draco, and this idea that Colin had to, basically, they've included him now in the Fidelius, and now he can't speak about any of the things it covers. It- I love that. Love it, love it, love it. Absolutely love it. I think that was so perfect, because it played right into... Draco's arrogance. Mm-hmm. Because he yeah. went and read the whole little note yeah. aloud. Don't turn him in. My brother and I lost our parents. I don't want to lose my friends if you tell Carol that the DA meeting room is in the room of requirement. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, because I can picture him in my head doing that. And I can picture like the expression on his face. And I can picture how he's like, I have got you in a corner, you worthless piece of crap. And then you turn around and it's like, because <laughs> you got punked. <laughs> yeah. And it turns out that they, all the rest of them have been listening this whole time because he has an enchanted pendant wiretap on the room. Love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, and one more thing. This is from Finnegan. <laughs> he grabs him and he kisses him. Oh, yeah. Oh, and this is so from Jenny. Loud. I was mm. definitely playing for the cre- for the people watching. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you definitely wouldn't expect Neville to do that. Six months ago, he never would have, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's what makes it so funny. Mm-hmm. And it turns out he was just testing because apparently Draco has drunk a whole lot to get to this point. Poor Draco. Shut it up your ass. They have a conversation a bit later where they're sort of beginning to figure out the whole Horcruxes thing, but they can't quite get it because of them know that's it's Canaveral? The dragon pox. It's just like chicken pox in this, right? So I was I was wondering whether it actually is chicken pox just with the wizarding name for it or whether it's actually something different from chicken box i don't know that's a really good question i mean i don't really know the epidemiology of, of dragon pox given that it's an imaginary disease but um cow pox and chicken pox 
and smallpox are all variations on the same gene structure. So I would imagine that dragonpox would be something similar. Well, it's mentioned in Half-Blood Prince. Uh, Slughorn mentions, when Draco brings up his grandfather, and Slughorn mentions that he died in a dragonpox epidemic. So yes. it's something you can die from. Yeah. You can die from chickenpox, too, This version, you? apparently. Yeah, if it evolves into uh, shingles, I think. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the same thing like the like uh, the very old and the very young? Not the other thing. I mean, the very older are, the, are chickenpox vulnerable. Like, the older you are, the more likely chickenpox is to be something really serious for you. The older mm-hmm. you are, the worse it hits you, yeah. Yeah, before you first get it. Red alert. Shields to maximum. Stand by all weapons. Oh, my God. We have gotten so far off topic. I love that. I love that. I think it's overdone in a lot of stories, but it's it's just one of those little touches that I think, you know, you you understand um, his motivation behind that statement. And and I think he, they don't he doesn't go into this whole hello, my name is Neville Longbottom. You tortured my parents to insanity. Prepare to die. You know? <laughs> and um, he doesn't get into but that. But instead we get the next best thing. Not my daughter, you bitch! <laughs> but yeah. I like that, you know, he just makes that little comment, you know, hey, guess what? Hands off the bitch, that one's mine. In those moments, I just would lo- love to see the faces of the people around her when she says that line. Like, <laughs> can you imagine if Percy, well, maybe that's not a good example, but if, yeah, well, let's, what the hell, Percy. Let's say Percy's standing right next to her when she says that. Like, I can just mother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'd get all prissy and be like, oh. <laughs> You know? mm-hmm. Ooh, mommy said a dirty word. Because <laughs> you know? up, up until now, she's been stopping Ron from saying bloody hell or whatever, you know. How bitter word is bloody? Um, we actually asked this on, I think it was a peon cast. We uh, polled Dan on that. I think it, it's basically, it's technically bad, but most people aren't bothered by it anymore. Uh, sort of like, like, hell, you know, like, like the word damn, or are we talking like, I don't know. Something like that, yeah. It's, it's a fairly... A mild swear. It's used fairly often as punctuation. <laughs> what do we think of Dumbledore's cadets? <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> I had a bad thought off my head when they said that, to be honest. Like bad, like evil, or bad, like dirty? Evil. <laughs> As in, like, like, in all honesty, the first thing that, for, for like, and I know it has absolutely no connotation to this at all, and it's a totally wrong thing to pop into my head, but I honestly, the first thing I thought of was Hitler you. <laughs> oh, mm. Jesus. <laughs> I, know it has, I know it's not a good parallel to make, but it just popped into my head out of nowhere. Like that. <laughs> Hitler you? Oh dear! Oh, oh, I don't know. What I'm sorry. I, mean, I guess it's like that. a group of little kids forming a military cult. So we have the Dumbledore Hitler Youth. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, shield charm bouncing Filch's whip back in his face. That was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Filch is pretty evil. I mean, I, he comes across a lot more evil in this fic than he's portrayed in the books. I think because in the books he's kind of like just sort of like like he's not a nice guy, but you kind of like roll your eyes at him. And he's like the crotchety old man. And this one he's kind of like you know bordering death eater territory mm-hmm. well this is the guy who fantasizes about getting the chains out of storage to hang people up with mm-hmm. in this one they take him a little bit more seriously on that where a lot of fix they just he's bringing that out to scare kids into acting the right they should or whatever he's, he doesn't seriously. actually mean it's it Phil Jumbridge. Mm-hmm. it's but. not bad I think it goes back to the whole you don't have to be a death eater to be evil thing because he's not a death eater but he's bad as the caros in this really yeah. Mm-hmm. But Something I think 
sadist? Yes, he's more of a sadist. I, I don't necessarily think he is the kid who got beat up at school, like got tortured by the popular kids. And so he comes back and he's like works for the DMV and he's not going to like go to their houses and shoot them in their sleep, but he's going to make sure that, or no, he works for like the IRS. So he's not going to go shoot them in their sleep, but he makes sure they get audited every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, he, I don't think he's evil. I, I, I he's well, not an, but, but in he, this fic, he's like whipping them after death. Yes, but he's not and enjoying it. So. He's not taking, well, that's true, but he's not taking them out and shooting them. He's not handing them over to Voldemort. But he's not a death eater, but yeah. but he's not. I guess the difference is, I think, was it Tim or Scott just said it that in a lot of fics and in Ken, and it's more like this is his sort of his fantasy, but he's kind of like this harmless guy the kids roll their eyes at. Whereas in this one, he's acting this out, and he, you know, he's. I mean, once you, once you start actually whipping the people half death and like kind of like cackling and enjoying it. You're no longer just like rolling your eyes. Oh, he's grumpy old Filch. He's like, you know, he's evil in my book. Enjoy whipping. You enjoy whipping, you know, teenage kids half to death. You're evil on my book. Put it that way. Well, but at the same time, you can imagine that he feels persecuted by the students the same way. I mean, I can imagine. I guess this is just me reading way too much into this character, but. I kind of imagine, I mean, obviously for him to be as bitter and angry as he is, he had a rough life, like a rough childhood, a rough upbringing. And I Mm -hmm. think he still views the students and the teachers to that extent as people who are persecuting him. You know, he feels... And it's it's a giant castle to keep clean. (laughs) That is true. And I'm sure he's had, you know, like decades of kids, you know, pulling pranks on him that he can't do anything back to them. And I'm sure there's tons of frustration, et cetera, et cetera. But they're still 11 to 17 year old kids and you're whipping them with a whip. I mean, you're crossed the line there. Like, it's one thing to be grumpy and crotchety and mean and enjoy giving detentions. It's another what to almost guys- kill them. Okay. What did you guys think about the ritual that Seamus did? I felt so sad. That was interesting, actually. It's, it's, un- it's going back to uh, Andrew giving him a lot more in the sort of the Gaelic roots to Seamus. Yeah. Like he's, he's gone back to the picked ritual or whatever it might be. He's gone to Ireland and carved tattoos on his body while he's doing this ancient charm thing. Someone have the exact words they can read for us? Yeah. Um, the next thing he knew, a frigid blast of icy wind shocked him awake, and he sat bolt upright, adrenaline roaring past illness as he snatched his wand off his nightstand. The tower window was open, revealing a sky just beginning to light with dawn, and a figure shrouded in heavy hooded traveling cloak stood in the little drift of snow that had followed him inside, a broomstick in one hand. Neville knew he was in no condition to duel an intruder alone, but the curtains on the other bed were drawn tight, and his roommate showed no signs of stirring. He raised his hand to shoot a spell that would prod Seamus awake, but then the figure dropped its hood. His mouth dropped open in shock at the sight of the familiar sandy head and freckled windburn cheeks. Seamus? There was no sign of the usual smile, and his voice was grim as he shut the window, then turned back to undo the clasp at his throat. Didn't mean to wake you. As the heavy woolen cloak fell away, Neville gasped. Seamus was naked to the waist beneath. His bare torso dabbed with strange symbols in blue and white paint, and his right shoulder was smeared with blood and swollen over what appeared to be a fresh tattoo. This symbol was far more complicated than the others, an intricate network of finely interwoven lines and spirals formed into a shape that looked like a distorted triangle of the same brilliant blue as the paint. More blood was crusted on his hands as he removed the gloves, and Neville knew he was staring openly. Where have you been? Home was the only response. 
Home is in Ireland, one fair eyebrow raised, as if the other young man were acting strangely. Where do you think I meant? Hampton Court? Neville shook his head, beginning to wonder if his fever had returned. But but how, as for how, the room of requirement put me on the roof just before nine. There has to be some sort of limit or some sort of rule on where it can open to or where it can. Oh, yeah. Like, otherwise, yeah. why climb up the side of the tower? Flew from there. You can make the coast easy on a fast broom. Dobby left the window open to let me back in. As for why, some things need the land. And as for what I did, don't ask. I can't and won't be telling you if we see a hundred. As for what I've done, he took a deep breath and the blue eyes that held a glee was terrible to witness. Severus Snape will not be seeing the summer end. And that's on magic deep as the green in the hills under winter snow. Seamus, you haven't cast some kind of, like, Avada Kedavra, have you? He felt horrified at the thought that his friend would commit murder on his behalf, because that's what it would be, he knew. It was one thing to kill someone in open combat, but this, whatever magic he's used to do it, no. I've just seen to it that he gets what's coming to him. He'll die in pain equal to what he's caused, and at the hands of those he's betrayed. But the whys and wherefores, that's not in my hands or on my conscience. He crossed the room, grabbing Neville's legs before he had a chance to protest and swinging them back onto the mattress, then pulling up the covers and taking the bed hangings in both hands to yank them closed. Now get some sleep. Or Snape. I felt bad for Seamus. I don't like Seamus after that. Yes. I know it's totally irrational, but after this, I just can't like Seamus. I don't like him. We should mention that the reason Seamus went and did that is because Neville is convinced that Snape fed him something to heighten his dragon pox through all this. Which is right. exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chinese combi- chomping cabbage, which is another neat little reference to things we've heard of before. But yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can't forgive Seamus for this, even if he was totally understandable why he did why it. Why not? Like, nope. Because I'm a huge like Snape, Snape man. I'm like, look what you did to Snape. You you made Voldemort kill him. He would have anyway. Me, I need to go get a violin. You enjoy whipping, you know, teenage kids half to death. You're evil on my book. Put it that way. That <laughs> things only work out like that because of this spell. But the implication is that Voldemort might not have done that on his own if Seamus hadn't gone and cast the spell. And Snape yes, he would have. Snape was going to end up dead before this year yeah. was out. because No, he, he wasn't. It's all Seamus' fault. Because at some point, Voldemort was going to realize that that's Severus Snape was the most likely candidate to be master of the Elder One. What are you talking about? All he had Snape had to do was last six more hours, and he was good. Voldemort was after the Elder One by the end of the book, and at some point he was going to realize Snape disarmed Dumbledore so that one would recognize Snape. Hey, Snape, here, come here a minute. You know, yeah. that was going to happen sooner or later. All right, but right. the argument now is that it, it happened when it did because of Seamus's magic. Okay, Because Mike, he was going to get what Mike, he had coming to yes. him. I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? This is not canon. I'm talking I'm talking Seamus had nothing to do with Snape's actual death, okay? In this universe. <laughs> Snape is dead canon. from Snake because and it's his own year fault. Of dark, year of darkness, <laughs> the argument is the reason Dumbledore could, That's Dumbledore, true. the reason it, Voldemort confronts Snape when he does but, is traced to this magic. Mm-hmm. I like, find Voldemort it neat actually I, that because Seamus is convinced that Snape is on Voldemort's side and these uh, people who attacked by people he's betrayed thing is going to be someone on their side killing Snape. And it turns out that it's Voldemort because Snape has also betrayed Voldemort. That, that's, well, also, as he's the only one, he's following Dumbledore's orders. Mm. The only one he betrayed, you could argue, is this. Lily, and she's dead. Oh, my dear God. Mike, put a sock in it, okay? <laughs> 
I'm just saying I find that very sad and tragic. That's all I said, and I blame Seamus. I yes, find Snape it did the right tragic. thing, but it was for the wrong reasons. And yeah. Snape's love for Lily, not romantic, not in the slightest. Stalkerish, not romantic. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's totally stalkerish, I mean, but mm-hmm. I still I, uh, The reason that this particular scene kind of stands out to me is that this is, to me, a turning point in Seamus's character. All throughout the books and through canon, and even in most fanfic you read about Seamus, he's just this kind of happy-go-lucky, he's always got a smile. I mean, he's, he's just the this, jolly Irishman. Yes, exactly. And he's this the is the other Irishman. side of that coin. This is the point where he, he has crossed a line here. And it kind of, to me, this is kind of like symbolic of everybody in the story losing their innocence. I think mm-hmm. there's a characterization element to this, because I like Andrew's Shames is a, a lot more complicated than a lot of characterizations I've seen, because yeah. this version, Seamus grew up in Belfast, in Northern Ireland, surrounded yeah. by the Troubles. Yeah. Surrounded by religious warfare, political warfare, pretty much surrounded, pretty much a place where you're surrounded, surrounded by violence, cr- cradle to grave. Yeah. And you almost wonder, how could that not have an effect on you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like growing up in the West Bank or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's an excellent point. I just, I, I guess it, it to me represented all of these, you know, Harry and Ron and Hermione, based on what they've gone through, they haven't been kids in a long time. If they ever were. Right. But you get the feeling that, that these other characters, you know, they've kind of been on the periphery. They've been at Hogwarts and this stuff has happened to them and bad things have happened and blah, blah, blah. But they haven't ever crossed that point that they can't come back and be kids again after this. They can't forget. They can't go back. And this is that point for Seamus. And it just absolutely broke my heart that that somebody who's supposed to be the jolly Irishman now for better or worse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, the why and the wherefore of Snape's death is not on Seamus's hands, but his his hands are dirty anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, he has blood on his hands because of this. And it's and it to me it was more about this is somebody who's a teenager, a teenager who has blood on his hands now, who sacrificed and who did this crazy thing to protect the people he loved and to cause the death of another person. And and up until now, I don't think we've had any characters in this story being directly responsible or taking responsibility, I should say, for anyone's specific death. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I guess to me, I mean, I didn't grow up with these characters the way some people in the fandom did. I think I was in college when I started the series and this was a couple of years into it. This is still, this is a 17-year-old kid. You know, God, at 17, I didn't know which way was up. And to have to make that choice, that just... to Oh, it just breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. And this is Y'all, another example. I feel like I have been talking for like 10 hours. Somebody please take over. <laughs> I don't want to be the new Ryan. <laughs> I know yeah, this well. sounds jaded and cynical of me, but war is hell. Yeah, the it war is. War changes people. Being around violence and such changes people. I know I understand it's a certain there's a certain conscious decision whether to whether well I guess it's not a conscious decision whether or not to let it affect you but how much Mm. and this is crossing a boundary and not to spoil y'all but this is important later on 
Um, someone once said it is well war is so terrible else we should grow too fond of it. Robert E. Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is also another example of the contrast thing I was talking about earlier. It's it's not quite as marked because there's some time in between, but they go fairly soon from that and then do finding out that Susan is pregnant. And so you go from taking life out of the world or starting the process to take a life out of the world to bringing life into the world. And that's yeah. it's very well done, that note, that they've just figured that out. And it also amuses me that the girls immediately know and Ernie's shocked that anybody else knows and the guys <laughs> have no idea. And <laughs> right. It's part of what I like about this story. It, it's one of the few stories you read that really acknowledges, hey, men and women's minds work differently. That's, I would say, rare in this fandom. Not just rare in this fandom, but rare in general, because not a lot of people get that. It's it's hard as an author, generally, to write the other sex, because yeah. you have to figure out to figure out what those differences are and try and put some of them in, and and things like that. That's that's something that. Um, well, it, partly because of the audience she was going for, um, she could miss some of the details and things, but J.K. did fairly well at having mostly male protagonists and doing it well, whereas a lot of fan fiction writers will miss some of the things with one sex or the other. Yeah. I would argue it's the fact that quite a bit of fandom in general has difficulty, I'll put it that way, difficulty to put themselves inside someone else's head. So they project their wants and beliefs and other things onto these characters, and that's when you get things that go totally wrong. People who don't do that seems to be more the exception than the rule. Mm-hmm. Not just in Harry Potter, but in fandom in general, I've noticed. Because you don't really have people who sit down and th- think, well, not that often, people who sit down and think, all right, the character is like this. Why are they like this? Um, what mm-hmm. would they be like in this situation, in this situation, in this situation? For for way too many people, it's more like, what would I be like in this situation, this situation, this situation? It's almost escapism for a lot of people. Maybe that's what makes it so nice when you run into a fic that isn't escapism and projection, but realize fairly early on, Andrew's taking the source material very seriously. War and love and marriage and life and death and good and evil. Mm -hmm. The roots of the heroic myth, the roots of (laughs) pretty much every story that's been told for the last six or seven thousand years. The hero with a thousand faces. Yeah, Joseph Campbell and all that. Yeah. Okay. Can I just say something like, and this is completely, I just flipped over to the next chapter and something jumped out at me that has been prickling in the back of my brain all of the story. Okay. Are Michael and Terry supposed to be gay? No. Just really good friends. Okay. (laughs) Well, because some of the stuff. He was actually kind of amused by it when it came out. And he has read Michael Terry slash fic, and he hasn't minded it so much. Their interaction or something, it made me stop and be like, wait a minute. Am I really, really missing the boat on this one, or am I reading too much into it? (laughs) I have trouble focusing on some of the lesser players when I am thinking about other characters. So I think it was this first one, what is it, when they go to the party, which we'll get back to the party in just a second, but they're asking if they're going to take their girlfriends to the party, and they're like, um, there's something you should know about us and i was like (laughs) (laughs) 
and then what it was is that they were both taking the same girl and and i was kind of like okay <laughs> is, is she a beard is that what's going on here you know? <laughs> no they're uh, they're, they're supposed weird. to have been friends before hogwarts so they've been close for okay. a long time they lived okay. in the same dorm for seven years and they were the best friends out of that dorm and yeah i can see where you get that though is that a girl thing because i don't think guys do that sort of thing guys are very close oh they must be you know well no it's not even that because i i I just think it was a a couple of little quips like that and you know not necessarily i like their costumes though they yes go to the party dressed up as a mock version of harry they put firebolt on their brooms with basically masking tape yeah that's it i guess it's a piece of parchment that they've taped onto it i think we skipped over the um wedding party yeah we Both did this we and that are examples of dobby going overboard <laughs> good old dobby yeah, yeah, i believe the line was it looks like a wedding shop threw up after gorging itself on haggis <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And the really sad thing is that that was uh, every wedding I've ever been involved in or part of it all they all the weddings themselves look like that. You know, you go back to the changing room or you go into the, the suite or wherever the stuff is and I mean literally after cars are gone and after the champagne's been popped and all that good stuff it it literally looks like a wedding got violently ill all over the entire room. I have this picture in my head of what it looked like and it's like this combination of all of the horrible wedding stories that I've ever heard in my life with a big fat helping of I don't know if you guys ever saw the show that was on uh, CMT that my big fat redneck wedding. Mm, Yeah. um, It was one up here. Yeah. It was basically about rednecks who got married in the most god-awful way imaginable. Like, I'm talking camo print wedding dresses. And, I'd actually like to see that. <laughs> and, like, seriously, you can look it up. It's like My Big Redneck Wedding. And it was hosted by Tom Arnold. They gave each other shotguns for wedding presents. They had mud wrestling at the reception. And there was one set of people that got married at a truck stop. And uh, it's sad that I could actually like to go to one of those. <laughs> Lord. So, you know, that image in my head, it was just like all this stuff thrown together. And I'm, I'm literally picturing, like, every horror wedding story I've ever heard in my life all mashed up into one room and, that, and it's spelled and it's spelled incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this one isn't quite that bad. <laughs> they do have Sna- um, Snape getting jinxed on top of the wedding cake. Right. <laughs> By the bride and groom. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yes, Dobby is apparently horrible at um, bagpipes, which is not surprising given that I expect it takes a lot of practice. I think it's hard to be good at the bagpipes, I'm guessing, because I've never actually tried it. I actually had the misfortune of... Oh, you're stand- weird. Standing- Sorry, my sister's walked through here. Okay. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, thanks, Mike. I'm Tim. <laughs> I had the misfortune of walking outside of a restaurant once. There's a, a college up north of here that is a, has very Scottish heritage. And they have a pipe band. And I just happened to be on that campus one day and I happened to walk around the corner of a building and there were like 14 bagpipers warming up. Mm. And that that sound right there was like ear rape. 
absolutely yeah. awful. Worst sound I've ever heard in my life. It was like 30,000 cats getting sick at the same time while drilling <laughs> nails through concrete and using screwdrivers on chalkboards. I mean, it was just... <laughs> <laughs> I really thought oh, that my brain was going to start bleeding and leaking out of my ears. <laughs> it was wretched, absolutely wretched. And the thing is, their pipe band, when they're all together, they sound really good. But I just happened to come across them when they were warming up. <laughs> oh, my dear God. I liked another example of wizarding culture that he, he wrote the um, pop songs that were playing at the wedding. Or at the party thing. There's little enough of it that it's, it doesn't fall into songfic syndrome. It's done quite well. Like it, it makes sense as something that you would have the um, teen crooner be singing about um, casting spells to stay in the kiss longer. And We have the wedding party that is just all out over the top. Dobby going crazy. And then we have Hagrid's party. <laughs> which I think even without Dobby's involvement... <laughs> could have been just mm. as garish and you know because yeah. <laughs> Dobby and Hagrid is, have some of the same uh, sensibilities that way yes that is an excellent way of putting it they both have this kind of childlike enthusiasm and they're, they're both the kind of people that you would describe as saying that their heart is always in the right place but their brain is in outer space I love both of them those characters make me smile it should be noted that Andrew has written quite a few songs for this universe not not all of them are seen in it but I yeah he's got a lot of stuff to check out there I haven't done much of it myself but then he do, he's also quite a fan artist and has drawn a lot of scenes from the story I haven't looked at most of them because I didn't want to be spoiled and I'd only read six chapters last time but when you see he does songs he is it the lyrics or does he actually like write music with them too a couple of them have music i think wow impressive i think he was actually trying to start a wizard rock band at one time or he was in a wizard rock band at one time i forget which we'll have to ask him at the interview well to get back to where you were before michael and terry said that line and or actually then Ginny completed the line for them because and, the twins do it yeah uh, you've never <laughs> seen my brothers pick up witches <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wonder man. about Angelina if that's the case. <laughs> oh my lord! You know, okay. I'm sorry, but I get really. If, if there's one thing that just squicks me out more than anything else in the world, is when people are like have threesomes involving the twins. It's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think that's well. I know it squicks me too. I just you people read some crazy things. I have to say, it you're reading like uh, throw up in my mouth a little bit. Luna kinks and twin things. You guys read some far-out psychedelic stuff. Groovy, baby! Yeah! Well, okay, honestly, it's because there's, like, not... There are a lot of websites that don't do the greatest job in... Like, Rule 34. Yeah, they don't do a great job about warning you ahead of time what you're about to get into. And so you're just... You're reading this nice, innocent little fic, and then all of a sudden, it's like bondage furry orgy in the living room. You know? And you're like... Oh, my. Pass the brain bleach, please. Yeah. I have seen one that was written very well where the thing was that Angelina was actually in love with George and went to the Yule Ball with Fred by mistake. But then things <laughs> sort of continued on from there. And she's like, I should have known it was Fred. Obviously, George wouldn't be the one to yell across the common room, do you want to go? But um, <laughs> they had this whole thing where they had to sort of reconcile with each other. Can they possibly be together now that... 
Fred is gone. And when they look at each other, the only thing they think about is Fred. And they went through a certain amount of angst. They were, I think they were actually side characters in the story. So it didn't go into that in detail, but eventually they did end up getting together. That's kind of creepy, but interesting all the same. (laughs) (laughs) If I remember, I'll link it or something, but yeah. Hmm. It was done really well. It actually wasn't all that creepy, but yeah, it's it's something you wouldn't think of, but because it was written well, it worked. I, I want to talk about this last, the little bit, the very end of chapter 13, and it seems like a good place to wrap it up, which I think is a good contrast to how the last chapter ended, or how we had the scene with Seamus and how he's made this decision. And, you know, he crossed that line, and now this is the flip side of it. He made this commitment to fight, and he crossed this line. And this is the other side of that coin. This is, you've chosen to fight and you cross this line and, and will it ever be enough? I think one of the more poignant moments is that here's this person who's willing to go to Ireland in the middle of the night and perform ancient blood magic to call on someone's death. But he's able to cry about it. He can't bear to deal with, with the feelings about it and about the, con- you know, what happened to Lavender and, and what happened, what's happening to all of them. And, you know, it keeps going and keeps going and, and why do we keep doing this and why do we keep fighting? I just love Seamus in this story. I'll I, never forgive him. You like, just go away. Like, oh, no. <laughs> it makes Snape more tragic, I think. How did you feel about the confrontation with Crab and Goyle then? <laughs> oh man. I like that. <laughs> that amused me, I have to admit. <laughs> you enjoy whipping, you know, teenage kids half to death, you're evil on my book. Put it that way. <laughs> that amused me, I have to admit. <laughs> I've read some good fix for Crab and Goyle are evil bullies where they're nice people so mm-hmm. so have i but um, in this one they definitely are they've discovered since draco isn't there that they actually enjoy being bullies for themselves as well as just doing whatever he says you and see they now, never actually bullied with draco they just always stood there and cracked their knuckles yeah, yeah. yeah. well they uh, also got to eat floating muffins or whatever it was and pass out that was fun yeah <laughs> that's true girls bodies too yeah. <laughs> Polly juice well, and the girls. Yeah. Crab and Goyle don't actually ever do anything bad, do they, until book seven? It's implied that quite a bit happens behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure how they would get that reputation if they never actually beat someone up. Am I the only one who got just a little bit working, squicked but... when I found out that Draco had been polyjuicing Crab and Goyle to make them look like... One, one wonders what he what they got. Sorry, my brain is weird. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's just I'll forget we heard that, because I'm hanging around with you people too much. <laughs> oh, sure. Blame Pufwania. Why well, they seem to hang out with insane people. Eh, like calls to like. Any other final thoughts on these chapters for the evening? Gen 2 is a genius. Where did that this- come from? <laughs> She's the one who picked this story. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. has nothing to do with the actual chapters, but... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Didn't it have more to do with Gen 2 being, you know, Neville fangirl? No, that's Jules. Jules. Jules, oh, oh, the new oh, Neville oh, fangirl. Oh. And she's like, hardcore Neville fangirl. My bad. Why is she on the spot? her on one of these, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, we should get her on one of these. She read it even? She has to, I hope she read it. I'm sure she has, but she also has four children, and I'm, I'm sure that takes up quite a bit of her time. Yeah, that's true. So, I think yes. we're kind of slack. Posh, children are so passe. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering, like, they're all between the ages of, like, 12 and 4. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. I mean, myself, I think I would go out of my mind if I had four children 
in that age range, but whatever. It's better 12 4 than 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I suppose. I'm not sure how you can get four children in that age range, but. <laughs> Imagine what the college expenses would be if you had a child, four children in college. Imagine what that would cost you. I would say think of the Duggars, but you know those kids aren't college. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like imagine if you actually had to find money to pay for four kids in college at the same time. Oh, Christ on stilts. I have hard enough myself. You're here that. Hope the kids were really smart so they can get bunches of scholarships. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but yes, good. these were some very good chapters. Um, yes. It, so it increased the intensity of the story again because we got to... There were definitely some light moments, which I'm glad for, and he did quite well writing those. And there are some really dark moments in these chapters, both Seamus's ritual there and what happens to Lavender in behind the scenes of chapter 13. And yeah. I'm quite glad that it winds up at the end with... Seamus being reconciled to these things happening and they've sort of got back together for at least a while anyway, because, you know, I will say this, that I, I like, um, I know I said earlier that I was, uh, what I didn't like was about, um, that I didn't like how he kind of skipped over certain things that I felt like they needed to be addressed. But at the same, on the same token, this last story that we just finished, um, Lioness, one of Lioness fights, that uh, gave a lot of people nightmares, I think. You know, that story went completely overboard with the violence and the, you know, the mm. icky stuff that it made a lot of people. I mean, we had several hosts, myself included, who were just like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not doing this. This is just bad. No, uh uh-uh. uh. And um, I think that I kind of like that some of the more unsavory elements are left behind the scenes and we're just kind of left to see what happens afterwards. Because then mm-hmm. it's not the whole just gut wrenching, I think I'm going to be sick kind of. They horror. have, in a way, they have just as much impact when left to, for you to infer things left to the imagination. It's, um, it's a different sort of impact, but it's, it's just as dark a moment to realize that this has happened to Lavender and in the last months no one noticed and how horrid it's been without actually going in and describing everything. So There's also the fact that in some stories, sometimes when you got a really good writer, what they'll do is the villains won't always be, you know, out there and, you know, just kicking puppies so you know they're there. Sometimes with a good story, the more the less the villain makes his presence, the more it's felt, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Sometimes the less you see the a character, the more you... sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely the case with Voldemort. You know he's out there, and you have a fairly good idea of what he's up to, but it's like the sort of Democles over the whole school, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a good way of putting it. But All right, so I think that's going to wrap us up for the evening. We will, I believe, next week we are starting with Chapter 14 and going through, what, 22? 29, 27. 20-something. 20, 20 so, yeah. uh, read till chapter 30, and you'll be way ahead of the game. There are only 25 chapters. Oh, well, then they're going okay, to Okay, maybe I am confused. Um, why don't you just read to 19? Thanks.
So just read the rest of the story. Um, I have not read it yet, and I'm looking forward to it. I, I, like I said, I've enjoyed the story more and more as it's gone on. And what about through nineteen? Yeah, I think you may be right. That's where I got the nine from. Yeah. Well, just read the rest of the story anyway, and you'll be prepared. <laughs> and that'll be our next two weeks. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and I don't know. I actually, are you guys going to be back next week? The episode? Because I don't think I am. So. None of us are scheduled. I think, but we could be. So. Yeah, you never know. It changes on a daily basis. And welcome back to Powerfig Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Gen Two. I'm Kaza. Mike. All right. Well, we will see everybody next time. Good night. Night. Good night. night. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. And Kelly, it's your fix, so you might as well start us off. Okay. And Should then... I say, and welcome back to Peon Castle. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to. For Monday. No, no, no. <laughs> For Monday, August 10th, 2009. This is episode 20-something of Peon Cast. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the place where we only do one shot. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I just love this part. <laughs> Welcome to Peoncast. I'm Kelly. I'm Kayla. I'm Scott. And I'm Sue. And tonight we're going to cover a story that was written by St. Margaret's, who is one of my favorite authors, called Tied Together. And this is on LiveJournal, and it was submitted for the Shoelace Challenge for last July 2008, after we got pictures of shoelaces for Half-Blood Prince that we didn't actually get to see until this past month when the movie came out. As well. (laughs) It's also since been posted on Phoenix Song. Yes. This was short one shot. And in the author's words, she says this is a little more angsty than she usually writes. The summary is their worst arguments are about the children or Albus learns to tie his shoes. Now, am I the only one who, when I saw that at first, thought it was Albus Dumbledore? <laughs> I, I, I thought it, too, because like, I didn't Why read it. would Dumbledore be learning to tie his Oh, wait. <laughs> I always forget to read the top for some reason when we do these. And then I'm like, who are we talking about? That's why everyone shouldn't have the same name. See, Kayla doesn't read italics either, I'm guessing. What's <laughs> well, just the top part I don't bother to read for some reason. Author's notes. Go straight to the story. Who else does it? Usually, you know, well, usually when you're looking for this, a certain story, you know, you're looking for what it's about and stuff, but... For these, usually when we do them, you know, I just click on the yeah. link and start reading because <laughs> yeah, I don't want to look for something. Them. When I do it for the text reader, I just copy the story. I don't copy anything else. Some we of have... those would be interesting in the text reader anyway. Mm-hmm. Word count and all that stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or, A I... slash N written for the July Challenge shoelace for one. <laughs> <laughs> you do that well. Starts oh, off with a couple of flashbacks, actually, but we don't realize they're flashbacks at first. And uh, this was another thing that confused me the first time I read it, because it read in the summary that Albus was learning to tie his shoes, and then we're starting with Aunt Petunia, and 
neither Albus Dumbledore nor Albus Potter would usually have anything to do with that petunia. So yeah. we're learning about Harry learning to tie his shoes. Right. Which he didn't know how to do. That's hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. Took me a while. And he's yeah. remembering that Aunt Petunia worked very hard to teach Dudley to tie his shoes, but not at all helped Harry. Now, see, that doesn't, I don't know, if you want him to totally leave you alone and not embarrass you, I'm sorry, but you would teach him how to tie his own shoes. Or else he'd always be bothering you, duh. That's, that's right. Or he would never have him tied, and that would be embarrassing to you. That would be embarrassing to her. It would. <laughs> that's what I mean. Apparently, they seem to go with making Harry look as much like a hooligan as possible. It does seem a little bit odd. Apparently, she has tied them for him before this point, but now that she's going to school, she decides she's going to quit doing that, and she hasn't ever taught him how to do them himself. So, And sat with Dudley for hours teaching him. Right, because, of course, it's going to take Dudley forever to learn how to do things like that. It'll take Dudley forever just to reach his shoes. (laughs) That, too. I don't even know how he sees his feet. Uh, He's not that big yet. That happens in a few years. Yeah, well. You look, and you look at this. She's, he says, do I have to wear those? And she said, yes, perfectly good shoes. If you hadn't pushed Dudley into puddles, they'd still be nice. She basically tells him that he's lying to her because Dudley's the one who ruined his own shoes. Mm-hmm. But her duddykins wouldn't do that. Be a oh, of course not. <laughs> yeah. He's such an angel. Yeah. She's she's and really she nasty in this. Him, all the teachers are going to believe he's a liar. Right. Right. And that they're not going to like him at all. Because he's he already worried about school. And yeah. yeah, she's not a nice person in this story. No, she's yeah. not. So then we go to I Ginny. I am by oh, go ahead. his phrasing just before the end of this bit when he's talking about how long she spent teaching Dudley. The phrase is that they spent what seemed like hours doing mysterious things with loops and talking about bunny ears. (laughs) If you didn't know what they were going on about, yeah, that would be really weird. Hmm. Yeah. And poor Harry. The last line in this area is he had no one to turn to. How was he ever going to learn? So the second section of the story is a memory from Ginny's point of view, which is I think maybe the same year because she's either... Either she's the same age Harry was in his memory, in which case it's the next year, or she's a year younger. Mm-hmm. And she has taken one of the family clean sweeps and gone off flying, and she's hovering over the shed at the moment. And Mrs. Weasley comes home early and catches her. Right. And literally grounds her. She's not yeah. allowed to ever be up on a broom until she gets to Hogwarts. And if she ever catches her again, all seven of them are going to get in trouble. Right. Which is... And I'm going to say that this is probably the same time because she's almost six. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's not six yet. Yeah. So it'd be pretty much when Harry's memory is from. Right. I take one trip to Diagon Alley, Mom says as they descended. And this is what I returned to find, the baby on a broom. I'm not a baby. I'm almost six. Oh, Uh so cute. And the poor boys. We didn't know she was going to do that. The threat for everybody to get punished. That's that's a hard thing to lay on a kid. Yeah. Do this again. That's why she had to sneak out all the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. I think she would be crazy to ground seven kids at one time. I mean, because then they'd be in your hair. And- well, she didn't ground them all. She just grounded Ginny from flying. Yeah. And she says, how will I learn? And Molly says, Hogwarts, where it's safe. And Ginny's shocked because that's five years, which is absolutely forever. Yes. Especially in kid terms. Well, yeah, that's another whole lifetime. 
Yeah. Time goes by so slow when you're a kid. I remember, you know, just being in grade one and it taking forever to get to January. Now it's like, holy crap, already? (laughs) Because you're not looking forward to exams anymore. What? When you're a kid, you're always looking forward to being in the next year because then you're the big kids. When you're in high school and college, you're dreading the next year because at the end of it, you have to have exams. Or midterms. Yeah. Thank God I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) So then we have another jump, and we jump ahead like 15 years. (laughs) Something like that. Quite a few years. Albus is the same years age that Harry just was. Well, yeah. Or a little bit younger. Albus He's is five. five. Right. And Albus Severus. Albus Severus. <laughs> yes. Right. This is not Albus Dumbledore. They did not time travel to go and teach him how to tie his shoes. Well, I just figured he was senile and he'd forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Come back from the dead, you mean? Anyway, um, he and James and Lily, all the kids had dragon pox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the two boys, the boys had recovered. Yeah. Mom is exhausted. Lily I, I quite like the, the voices in here because they all sound like a kid that age would sound. Mm-hmm. Like, Albus doesn't understand why Mom's tired because, after all, she wasn't the one who had dragon pox. Yeah. But she's just been looking after three kids who had dragon pox. <laughs> right. And kept up the house and made dinner and yeah did all those other things. And so, Albus is tired of Lily whining and Mom sighing and him being ignored. Yes. And apparently... James has untied his shoes. Uh-oh. And this and this is a very traumatic thing because Albus doesn't he know doesn't. how to tie his shoes. Yeah. yeah. I guess someone ties them or he ties them once and they get left tied for weeks at a time and he just puts his feet in and out. Flips them on and off, yeah. Makes sense to me. And he's, you know, he yells and says, Mom, I need help. James untied my shoes. And she's like, where are you Wellingtons then, dear? I don't have time to help you. And he's just like... No, I don't want to wear those. They're hot. They're hard to run in. And yeah. And then she says, I can't help you right now. And Lily is fussing again. You can do it. Just try. Mom, you need to learn, Albus. And he, and he gets frustrated yeah. and heaves his shoe at the door just as Harry's walking in. Right. And Harry automatically draws his wand and ducks, thinking he's being attacked. <laughs> you find that it's the and it's, shoe being it's thrown son. by his youngest. <laughs> oh, dear. And, mm. of course, Albus is just devastated. He's mm-hmm. on the floor crying and, you know, just devastated that he threw his shoe at his father. Well, it's frustration, too. Yeah. And, and Harry's tired, I guess, because he's been busy at the office and with everything going on. And, for the last week. Well, and it looks like he came home for lunch. And yeah. he's probably been... You know, yes, you've got three kids with the dragon pox, and he, you know, these are both of the parents. This isn't just Ginny. I mean, yes, right. she's mm-hmm. she's got it all the time here, and he gets a, he gets away from it a little and goes to work, but they're still both exhausted because the kids have been sick. Right, because he's home at night. Right. And he's been sitting up with them, things like that, because right. they'd be awake. When the kids are awake, you are awake. Right. That's how it works. So I'm never having kids. <laughs> so Albus tells him, so, I can't tie my shoes and mom won't help me. And and, and Harry he immediately goes back to this memory. And he, right. Yeah. What? How could she possibly not help you? And he vows that he's going to help. And he's a little bit scary at the time because he's thinking about this stuff. Albus says, You don't have to, in a very small voice. All of these sections so far have had a little bit of a parallel at the end. Because the first one Sue read out there was he had no one to turn to. How was he ever going to learn at the Ginny's? 
how could she possibly wait till Hogwarts? How is she ever going to learn? And then in this one... Well, you forgot one. Albus took the shoe off, blindly threw it at the door. How is he ever going to learn if no one would help him? This one isn't quite as direct, but it's Harry looking at Albus and thinking, he's so small and alone, how could Ginny not help him? We have a little bit of a time skip here. Again, it shifts scenes. We get the impression that Harry's sort of stormed into the kitchen and confronted her about this. She takes it the wrong way. Yes, she's... Oh, yeah. She's not happy. Well, 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 it's understandable. I mean, she's tired. She's home all day with the kids. They're sick or getting over being sick. and She's trying to make dinner and the yeah, youngest is in the way. and Too much multitasking. And Lily's upset and clingy and crying as well. Now Harry's, it feels like he's attacking her, you know, and not saying that she's doing enough when she's at the end of her rope. And yeah. So they're having an argument because he's been overdone at work. She's been overdone at home. And neither of them know about these memories where he he's remembering being six and nobody being able to help him. And she's remembering how she had to try on her own in order to learn things. And it's just a clash of things. Right. And they're not the sort of memory that either of them would know about. They wouldn't have brought this up during courting or through their life so far. It's not the sort of thing you would immediately think of. Mm-hmm. Right. She says some stuff that... <sighs> They do the bubblehead charm, which kind of made me laugh because it sounds like the cone of silence. Do you want me to leave the room? That won't be necessary, Hodgkins. We can talk under the cone of silence. The cone of silence? Well, this is a magenta alert, isn't it? The cone of silence. I am deeply concerned about the conference room. What? <laughs> she starts saying things. She says, you need to be more, and she says, be more what? Be more perfect, pretty, patient? What is it, Harry? I'm sorry, I can't be in two places at once, or that I need to sleep at least every other day, or that I can't cure dragon pox overnight. I mean, she is so frustrated. And he's not telling her, you need to be perfect. No, he's not saying that at all. Not just- at all. He just has his own issues with this Especially because it's this particular thing. Like, he probably would have got a little bit worked up if he came home and she wasn't helping Albus with something else. But because it's tying his shoes and that has such connotations for him, it's bringing things up that he never thought he would think about again. Right. Like he says a little bit later, he didn't come in there to have a row. He didn't think she would argue with him. And I never thought you could be so cold. And this is when things sort of escalate. They both kind of snap and he decides he has to get out of there. He's going back to work. He's not hungry anymore. And she sort of shoots after him. Aren't you afraid I'll starve the children? Yeah, they're not doing well at this point. No. No, no. It's probably a good thing that he went away or else it would just keep on going. And because of the bubblehead charm, they can't tell that Lily is crying and she's really distressed as well. And of course, the boys turn this into dad's angry because of you. And this is all your fault. You know, James is telling Albus this. Albus says it's his fault because he's the one who untied his shoes. It sort of goes back and forth a little bit there, except then they get threatened with the silencing charm if they don't quit arguing. Right, so right. they start mouthing words at each other. This is this is another little interlude. It's just so kids. Yes. Oh, it's you totally can see kids. anyone doing that. 
baby James Mouth fully Albus Mouth's back. Yeah. You just, you know, I have the vision of them in the back of the car going, Mom, he's touching me. <laughs> Don't make me turn this car he's around. He's in my spot. He's breathing the same air as me. And then there's the, ne- the first line of the next section. After a horrible dinner of stew with all the vegetables Albus hated, they got sent to their room. <laughs> and Lily is still crying, so she's still fussing. Yeah, she's really not doing well either. And so Albus sneaks out of his room and sneaks into James's room, where James is making a fort out of pillows and cushions and stuffed animals. And they kind of make up at this point. It's- yeah, everything is immediately patched up, even though they've been fuming at each other all dinner. They crawl in together and go to sleep in their fort. Right. This is a good fort. Yeah, it is. I'm going to sleep. Okay, <laughs> everything's good. I liked that line, though. It's like, sometimes Albus hated his brother, but oddly enough, he never hated him around his bedtime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so cute. And they're in their fort. Everything, all is well with the world, and they don't have to worry about tying shoes or mom and dad arguing or anything. And, hey, Lily's even stopped crying. Yay! So, Harry comes home, and apparently... <laughs> The highlight of Harry's evening is putting Albus to bed, which, coming from Harry, I'm totally not surprised. They have a Weasley clock. Right. And James and Albus both say they're sleeping like an angel at the moment. (laughs) That's kind of funny. I love that, yeah. The angel part always makes him smirk. You just kind of picture boys, though, and how they're... I guess at night they would be angels, but I was kind of picturing, like, Fred and George, too, and it's like, you're right. (laughs) They look angelic, but they're not. (laughs) They're not. It's all a ruse. But he has had a little bit of time away from this, and though he's still not feeling great, he's had some time to think about it, and none of his kids have ever really felt the way he felt. He's noticed that none of them complain about ever being lonely, it's not the same for them as it was for him with Dudley. Maybe he was too hard on Ginny earlier. They have each other. Even though they bicker mm-hmm. and they fight, they still count on each other. Yeah. Yes, one I of them unties the other's shoes. Yes, the other one will pick on them and everything. But they're still brothers. He and Dudley never had that. No. Yeah. They were never brothers. And I think it's largely Harry growing up the way he did, so he knows what he's going to do when he's raising his children and stuff. And it means... He, they're doing a good job if boys aren't lonely or sad or isolated. And mm-hmm. I don't know. As long as you're doing that, I think it's a, you're doing a good job as a parent. He comes in and Ginny says, oh, you're home. And then she tells him, I'm taking Lily to St. Mungo's. Um, she's got worse. Yeah, she's worse. Yeah. And he's like, you should have called me. She just kind she of looks at him. She wasn't going to after yeah, that. After earlier. Right. And he says, I'm going with you. And then Lily looks at him and says, Daddy. And Jenny says, well, you don't have to. You haven't had your dinner. And he's like, I don't care about dinner. I'm going with you. There's no two ways about it. But fortunately, before they even manage to go off, Molly and Arthur show up. And they know exactly what's wrong. Apparently, (laughs) this is a fun bit. Um, There was willow bark Mm -hmm. in the potion they were dosing Lily with. And so she started to grow willow leaves behind her ears. It's too much willow bark. She's having a... Basically, an allergic reaction, or it's a an overdose reaction. Mm-hmm. Only magical. So. Apparently, this happened to Ron, although possibly it was Percy or Charlie. It was one of the, one six. Of the six boys. <laughs> I don't remember which one. And poor Ginny. Ginny is now going to be blaming herself for this. Mm-hmm. So they take Lily to St. Mungo's, and the healer says she's been crying all day, and then the 
crying stopped abruptly and she's been taking this potion for a week, you know, and Ginny is like, this is, this is my fault. This is my fault. How could she let this happen? So they look and her tongue is green and she's got yeah. the leaves behind her ears and, and things like that. And I like this. It's a common reaction to willow bark. First the weeping like a willow tree and then the leaves. Yeah, Aww. that's pretty cute. It turns out it happens all the time and there's nothing really that Ginny would have done about it. Right. Yeah. Or even have known about. Right. It's just a side effect. I mean, it kind of happens with everything you take. And and what they have to do, they have a spell that they use, and then they (laughs) keep her in darkness because then the leaves will quit growing because it's dark. Right. And in six hours, she should be fine. And I like that they use the willow bark because it is what they use all the time. It's basically aspirin. Um, Oh, yeah. You can still get willow bark tea. Tea, you can get willow bark pills to take instead of aspirin if you want. Oh, so, I, it's, I should try that. It's nicer on your stomach and different things like that. It's also fun uh, having an herbologist as a peon. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's like yeah. homopathic remedies. Right. Mm-hmm. Sweet. But yeah, that's what they came up with aspirin from. It's synthesized from the ingredients in willow bark. Yeah. Right. Right. They used to have people just take twigs, basically, and chew on them. Okay. So they're going to do the spell every two hours, and they have to sit in the dark. And they're going to stay with her in case she wakes up. In the dark. In a strange place. And so they kind of start to talk things out a little bit. He pulls her close. He come here, and he puts his arm around her and kind of settles her in. And then he decides to tell her what really set him off. And he starts off with saying that he was really sorry he wasn't more help. And she says, well, at least they can't ever get dragon pox again. Then he tells her about the memory. Right. It was almost like I was five again. And that's why things hit him so hard. I like the note about dragonpox, too. It's sort of equating it further with things like chickenpox. That yeah. Are mm-hmm. A kid's disease that they aren't going to get again, things like that. I remember seeing information about dragonpox saying, yes, it's most children get this. If it's not treated properly as a child, it can stunt growth, which is what chickenpox do. And if you get chickenpox as an adult... It's more dangerous, even worse, yeah. But Perry and Ginny talk. I would guess that she shares her memory from the beginning as well. It it doesn't say that, but it seems like something that would happen. Right. We have a longer time jump, and we move back to the kids at their place. Albus wakes up, and there's hot breakfast being made. Yeah, he can smell sausage. Yeah. Mom's making breakfast to find Gran and Grandpa and find out that Lily had to go to St. Mungo's and that Mom and Dad are with them, so Grandma and Grandpa stayed with them. So they're being quiet this morning so their parents can sleep. So Lily was turning into a tree. I was not a tree. (laughs) (laughs) How would you know? Gran said you were sleeping like a log, and then he giggles at his own joke. Get it? Trees sleep like logs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's such a five-year-old joke. It's like slamming the Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. uh, I like this. Since she didn't whine and kept eating after this insult, Elvis knew she was better. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all laugh at James's joke because he has an infectious giggle. Apparently, I love kids. And everybody giggling. laughs. Well, come on, he's seven. Kid- yeah. yeah, you just got a giggle. Kids have the cutest laugh. And then Ginny, Ginny wakes up to the sound of laughter. All is well. All is well with her world. Her children are laughing. And she likes that she doesn't have to leap out of bed to attend to them at this point, And they can stay in bed as long as they like. I like the fact that she's watching Harry. Mm-hmm. Watching he him used, sleep. 
He used to have nightmares at Hogwarts, but he never did now. Or if he did, he never told her. But she knows that if he ever did have bad dreams, that he would tell her. And, And he talked about living with his aunt and uncle and what it felt to be five years old and a burden, you know? Yeah, it sounds like he's gone through a lot more things than just that one memory. He was never one to really bring stuff up like that either. You'd probably pretty much have to drag it out of him. Yeah, and that's very Harry. Harry's a very self-contained person. This was very typical. He does not share himself easily, even with somebody who he's in love with, you know? Yeah, sometimes it can be a scary thing to... To open up to somebody? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I know that's... It's hard enough for anybody. And Carrie's gone through 10 years of training to be silent, basically. Don't ask questions. Don't draw attention to yourself. Be as unobtrusive as possible so you don't get punished more. Don't speak until spoken to and all of that stuff. And then he gets to school and, like, in fourth year, everything he says is twisted out of all recognition and put in the paper, so... So Harry wakes up to Ginny's hair brushing his chest, and she's looking down at him. And even though he's not wearing his glasses, he can read her expression. She is pleased with him, and he doesn't know why that is her expression first thing this morning. But as always, it touches him to the very core. She believes in him and saw the best in him and always made him want to be a better man. That's a healing thing for him. Apparently, during their conversation last night, she told him that he'll never have to be five years old again. It's something he didn't realize was still a wound, and now it's gone. Or it's healing. Everything is a lot better. I love Harry Jenny. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And then we shift over again, where Albus is also content because Mrs. Weasley makes the best cooked breakfast ever. (laughs) He's patting his stomach. (sighs) And they get sent along outside, so that things will be a little more quiet. Until he realizes he has to retie his shoes to get them on, so they'll be tight if they're playing around. And while he's trying to figure out how to do this, he's hearing his parents upstairs and Ginny's saying how she wants to put an expansion charm on the tub. <laughs> and Harry, <laughs> Harry, if you look at the tub like you're looking at me, I'd say the engorgement will be no problem. See? <laughs> I'd rather feel. And yeah, they're giggling. And Albus doesn't know Albus what they're no talking idea about. what they're talking about. No, but he knows that they're laughing and they're happy. Yeah, or why the bathtub would want to be bigger. He doesn't recognize the noises except for splashy noises, but (laughs) as long as they're not arguing. And when he refocuses on his shoes, they're tied. Well, he hasn't been paying attention. He's just done it. Yay. And I like, he notices the splashing sounds different, and he figures either it has to be different because they've changed the tub, or there's some sort of silencing charm up. But there's magic somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) We know. We didn't know that there were only three kids. We'd think that maybe there was magic happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the waves crash. Magic. Magic unspoken. Exactly. But anyway, he has successfully tied one of his shoes, but now he's paying attention and he has to tie the second one. But he knows now that he can do it because he just has. Right. He tries to think as hard as he can everything that Mom's already told him, and he moves the laces around, and he gets it right. Yay. This time the laces did not fall apart. The two round loops were tied together, tight and secure. Yay. Yay. So, yes, the that end. was... I liked this. 
it was angsty and it was frustrating and it was sweet and all the other. Yeah. It was comical. It, was comical. it had a tree in it. <laughs> had the willow bark tree. I love the whole use of the willow bark. And to come up with something like, oh, well, yeah, she's having an allergic reaction or a reaction to the willow bark tea. So she's growing leaves behind her ears and her tongue's turning green. I, I love that whole yeah. concept. Crying like a willow. <laughs> weeping like a willow. That was funny. This was a good story. Thank you for picking it. You're welcome. All the characters were very well done, and she obviously has some experience with kids. I don't think I could write kids that well, but uh, it all rings true somehow. I think that we are finished with the fic for this week. We should just need to say goodnight. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the fic. I did. Check it out. It'll be in the... In the Peoncast thread. Okay, well, goodnight, everybody. Night. Night. Night.